Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Brown Harris Stevens. And as my listeners know, I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? On other shows, we talk about interesting and vital topics of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. We've talked about topics as diverse and illuminating in the past as American presidents who came from, lived in, or who had some interesting history in the city, about half of them. We've looked at the history of women activists, the women's suffrage movement. We've looked at the history of different immigrant communities, looked at the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles. They've been part of New York for 200 years. We've looked at the history of punk and opera, our public library systems, we have three of them. We've looked at the subway, looked at some of our greatest train stations, and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, you can catch each episode on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and other services. Tonight, we're journeying to Brooklyn again, to a very special neighborhood, Bushwick, Our first guest is a returning guest to Rediscovering New York, Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is a licensed New York City tour guide, a New York native, and the owner of Custom NYC Tours. His small group of private walking tours focuses on the city's neighborhoods, its history, its art, and its architecture. Jeremy also serves on the board of the Guides Association of New York City, one of the oldest and most active tour guide associations in America. Jeremy Wilcox, a hearty welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me again. You're originally from the city, aren't you? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Richmond Hill in sort of uh, central Queens. Um, Not a particularly well-known neighborhood, but, uh, you know, it was a nice neighborhood to grow up in. And we were actually talking about a former train station right before airtime about uh, in Richmond Hill uh, on, the, on the Long Island Railroad. Um, where do you live now? Now I live in Flatbush, Brooklyn, just a little south of Prospect Park. Hmm. When did you decide that you would go into the business of designing tours and leading people to discover some of the wonders of, of the great city that we live in? I actually was coming up on just about five years now, uh, sort of early 2016, and I was uh, sort of stuck in a dead-end job, and I was spending all my free time sort of exploring the city and different neighborhoods and taking photographs and then researching everything I photographed. And and then, you know, I started dragging friends and family along on these adventures until one day a friend said to me, he's like, you know, you can get paid for this. This is like a job. And then like, you know, the typical light bulb going up in the head. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then that was sort of my journey. And I've been doing this, yeah, almost five years now, professionally. Did you uh, have any idea that this would be uh, like a career calling for you at some point before you decided to go into it? Not really up until about, you know, five years ago, you know, it was just sort of a a side hobby for me, you know, just to sort of do with friends and family on weekends. And, um, but I, you know, at that point, I was realizing that the current career path I had been on wasn't working. And then I was like, well, you know, plenty of people seem to be making a you know, decent living uh, doing working in the tourism industry and being tour guides. And I just felt like that's what I needed to do. And I, five years later, I still think it was the right decision. I mean, even after this, you know, crazy past year. And we're all going to talk about some of your tour offerings um, a little bit later in our in our segment. Um, but Bushwick is one of the neighborhoods that you provide tours for. Um, one of the things that I'm always fascinated by in New York is the origins of the names of neighborhoods. At first glance, you know, the name Bushwick would appear to have English words at its root, you know, a bush and a candlewick. But actually, it doesn't. It's not from an English name, is it? No, actually, the name uh, originally dates back to the middle of the 1600s and comes from the Dutch. It was originally known as Boswick, um, and the exact spelling for uh, listeners would be B-O-S-W-I-J-C-K. And it basically meant deep woods or heavy woods, uh, which is what the land was prior to sort of um, colonial settlement. 
Um, and then when the English took over, sort of at the end of the 17th century, Bolswick sort of literally just got anglicized to Bushwick. Um, I mean, very similar to my own neighborhood of Flatbush, which sort of got started out as Dutch and was anglicized in the same way. So it was Flushing and a bunch of other neighborhoods, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the area like when the Dutch first um, came here and settled here? I mean, it had to have been uh, a pastoral. Oh, yeah. It was It was just, it was a forest. Um, and, you know, sort of the origin was in the 1630s, the Dutch West India Company had sort of secured uh, an agreement from the local Lenape people um, for the area, but there was no official charter until the 16, mm. sort of early 1660s. And that was sort of the town of uh, Boswick sort of stretched all the way from the East River in modern days, Greenpoint, Williamsburg, all the way to sort of, you know, deep into Bushwick now. And it was all uh, just originally forest land. And they just started, it started as a very, very quiet settlement at first. You know, one of the things that I've, I find, I'm, I'm not a historian, but I found emblematic of, of when the Dutch came is that they reached agreement with most of the, in most of the places that they ended up settling. They reached agreements with the Lenape, with the local Lenape people to actually mm-hmm. use the land. I don't think that they had a concept of uh, uh, actual ownership as opposed to just like use and leasing. But Yeah, um, and there was, you know, there's some historians will debate, like, did the Lenape kind of realize at the time that, you know, the Dutch um, kind of were saying, like, we're thinking, like, oh, we're taking kind of ownership of this in the, in the longer term, whereas Lenape was like, oh, we'll let you use this land for a little while in exchange for, you know, the, the goods and we're bartering. Well, also, you know, I wonder, too, you know, we've never talked about this on the show before, Jeremy, that um, that the local people also didn't have a concept of of big centers of population that Europe actually had in towns. I mean, uh, uh, civilization here of local people was very different from, you know, large concentrations of people. So maybe they didn't even uh, uh, know that there would be such large numbers of people who would ultimately uh, come here and settle in the land. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, it takes time to settle. Like when the first sort of Dutch settlers were in Bushwick, you know, it was a lot of like tobacco farming, you know, was the big thing going on there. So that to Lenape is like, well, that's just, you know, kind of what they were using the land for. So, you know, at first it just seemed similar. Then obviously, you know, you just sort of industry starts rising, homes start, you know, trees come down to make homes. And, uh, you know, over the decades, it starts to build up. One of the things that I find interesting about the name Bushwick is in Williamsburg, there's a little inlet called the Bushwick Inlet. And the first time I saw that on the map years ago, I thought, wait a minute, that's not in Bushwick. It's in Williamsburg. How did that how did that little inlet get the name Bushwick in the Bushwick Inlet? Well, again, originally the the town, the Dutch town uh, Bushwick stretched all the way to Williamsburg. And before Williamsburg was chartered as a sort of separate village, which was in the 1820s, that part was just known as Bushwick Shore because it was the part of Bushwick that was on the shore. And so when the inlet was named, you know, it was before, you know, the name Williamsburg had really cemented. So in modern day, Williamsburg is the Bushwick Inlet. Um, There's a very nice park over there um, in that section too. Let's move forward a little bit. I'm going to break protocol. Can I give you a quick little story about the name of Bushwick Inlet? Because I happen to know why it was named. Or should I wait until Jeremy, should I wait so no, no, this I, is uh, listeners. This is our uh, uh, <laughs> second guest, Toby Moskovitz. We're going to be talking to her more at length later. But Toby, sure, chime in. So I just quickly, I've been active in Williamsburg for about 12 years, and my grandfather started a business in Williamsburg in the 70s. But I have a relationship with a gentleman named Phil Habib, who is a well-known um, architect. You know, he's uh, actually an engineer in the neighborhood. And what he told me was when he was doing the rezoning on behalf of Mayor Bloomberg, they basically wrote on the map, Bushwick Inlet, Bushwick Inlet Park, thinking that it would get renamed and no one remembered to rename it. So that's from the horse's mouth as to how that, you know, Bushwick Inlet Park and Bushwick Inlet was named. It was supposed to be renamed. So maybe, Jeremy, you'll come up with a good name and we'll have to lobby the city council to rename it with something with uh, more historically relevant to Williamsburg. But now I've badgered a member of the city council. Well, I've had several council members on the show. That would make it actually for an interesting topic of uh, uh, names in New York that were changed by hook or by crook, uh, maybe even at the point of a gun at some point. Um, yeah, just a, a note actually also about Williamsburg. So like I said, that got the name um, Bushwick Shore became Williamsburg in the 1820s. It was actually named after the man they hired to survey that who was uh, Colonel Jonathan Williams and uh, Castle Williams and Governor's Island is also named after him. Mm. 
Well, let's let's uh, fast forward a little bit from the Dutch to the to the to when the British controlled New York, Jeremy. Was there any notable history in what would become Bushwick during the English and then the British colonial period or during the Revolutionary War? Um, a little bit. I mean, um, part of, you know, what happened was, that, you know, I, what I always actually find interesting is that so many of the Dutch records after the English period just actually got lost. So there isn't really unlike you know, other parts of Brooklyn, there really aren't a lot of strong records of what was going on in Bushwick uh, prior to English settlement because they just the records at some point got um, lost during the uh, transition. Um, and obviously, Bushwick, I believe, was also the the very last of the six towns to sort of get, um, you know, officially transferred over. It was just a lot of farmland at that point. So it wasn't considered a sort of priority, I guess, for the English. Well, that, that is unfortunate. There's, there are a lot of records left from the Dutch period uh, of New Amsterdam that are now in uh, archived in, in Albany. Uh, and uh, they're accessible to people who want to want to go through them. Um, when did urban development start in the area that would become Bushwick? You know, when did when, when did we start having uh, streets laid out and, and, and maybe the beginnings of of businesses and industry here? So sort of Bushwick, yeah, and sort of an urban way really began in the early to mid uh, 19th century. And that's sort of when Bushwick started to take on an industrial character. Uh, that's really when you started having more different European immigrants moving in um, and sort of building up industry. And so the industry, again, needed roads, it needed infrastructure, it you know needed houses and the growing population needed more of a sort of neighborhood. So really, I think the 1840s is really when that would be, would have began. Mm. And was it mostly industrial development or was it also residential development that took place? Oh, definitely both. And, and, you know, would have been very typical for Brooklyn at that time, which is, you know, pre commute is the people who were residing there were really the people who were working there. Um, so you had to build all these factories and industry and you had to build residential sections of the neighborhood uh, for all these people. And there was ve- two very distinct ends um, of Bushwick in a way. You had the sort of industrial end, which would have been more west um, and more of a residential sort of growing more residential the further east you got um, in Bushwick. Who were some of the first people who who would have settled in Bushwick in the 19th century? And we're talking like the 1840s and 1850s? Uh, yes, and that would have been um, the German population. Uh, the Germans were really the first major immigrant group to really sort of create their own identity within Bushwick. And, and it's amazing. There are still remnants. If you sort of uh, poke around, you can find remnants of sort of German um, mm-hmm. Bushwick. And that's beautiful old church buildings, uh, some, you know, a couple of street names. You can still in some of the areas, you know, particularly along like Flushing Avenue, Broadway, that area, you can find German writing on some of the buildings. Uh, um, and they really were the first to sort of make the neighborhood their own in that way. Mm-hmm. What kind of industry was started here? So the main industry that really took off, um, which is not sort of surprising given that it was the Germans, was beer brewing. Uh, it, was, it was just it was sort of the beer brewing capital of this sort of part of the country at that time. Uh, basically, you had this huge stretch uh, that they called Brewers Row, and it was just all these just massive breweries popping up one after the other. It was just a major and obviously very lucrative industry for them. We're going to take a break in a second. I did want to ask you a question about landmarking. Um, I know there's one brewery, the William Ulmer Brewery building. It's at Beaver and Belvedere Streets. That was landmarked uh, in 2010. Has the city declared other brewery buildings landmarks as well? You know, actually, off the top of my head, um, I'm not sure. There are many that are left. Um, the problem is there's so few that are sort of still being used for their original purpose. But uh, that was the main one. It actually was a very big deal because it was like the first brewery building of any kind that had ever been landmarked. And that was only fairly recent. I believe it was 2010 when that got mm-hmm. landmarked. Mm-hmm. Wow. There was an article in the New York Times recently about the about the brewery. It was really interesting. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jeremy Wilcox and later Toby Moskowitz about Bushwick in Brooklyn. We'll be right back. Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Do you love 
or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. To rediscovering New York and our episode on Bushwick and Bo- in Brooklyn. My first guest is Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is the founder and owner of Custom NYC Tours. Jeremy, what are some of the aside from Bushwick? What are some of the offerings that 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 you provide in your business? So, some of my most popular offerings are my Midtown Art Deco uh, and landmark sort of architecture tour. Uh, I do a Victorian Flatbush tour near me in Brooklyn. I also do a Central Park tour. Today actually would have been a lovely day for that tour. Um, and I do a tour of the High Line and Hudson Yards. And I also take, you know, custom requests as well. I'm sort of happy to, part of what I actually enjoy is kind of creating tours from scratch based on sort of what a customer's looking for. What's your latest tour that you that uh, you created? Um, one that I did actually... Bit about a year ago, uh, before the pandemic hit, which was really fun, was a family. They had a little, two kids who were really into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so they wanted a Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtle New York tour. So I, you know, I took them. You know, included a pizza place. We went into like this very cool ninja gear shop on Mott Street in Chinatown, um, sort of stuff like that. That was, you know, kind of and showing them the world of New York City of the the Ninja Turtles. That was kind of fun because I it was the first time I'd ever designed a tour specifically for kids. Oh, cool. That's great. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to speak with you either about the tours that you have or maybe about uh, crafting a new tour for them specifically? Uh, they can go to my website, which is www.customnyctours.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, they can sort of see all the tours I have. There's also a you know contact box, so they can send me an email. Um, I have all my regular tours. You can book right there and you know try to be as available as I can for any custom request someone can think of. Well, I'm looking forward to going to your Dipmas Park on going, going on your Dipmas Park tour. One of these days, I have to make a point of doing that. Um, back to Bushwick. Uh, one of the U.S.'s pre, there were, there were lots of other kinds of, of businesses uh, that got started in Bushwick. Um, one of the U.S.'s preeminent drug companies was actually started in Bushwick as well. Yes, and actually, uh, it's a company that at this point, you know, everybody's reading about in the news. So Pfizer, uh, the famous, uh, now globally renowned pharmaceutical company, actually began in Bushwick. Uh, it was founded by a German immigrant, uh, Charles Pfizer. And, um, you know, they, they had, you know, they were operating basically a location there. On, you know, the company had been operating a location there up until like, you know, maybe about 10 years ago. And um, it was founded at the 
exact corner of Harrison Avenue and Bartlett Street. So if you ever want to visit the birthplace of Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, which was founded in 1849, uh, Harrison Avenue and Bartlett Street. And they were, again, they were maintaining a factory and a headquarters there until 2008. Um, And their last building still exists. It was sold off to developers and now kind of operates as this complex, which has additional food produ- uh, producers and sort of specialty schools. Um, but yeah, Pfizer Pharmaceutical is uh, born in Bushwick. There was a time not that long ago where it would have been known for a different drug that was on the top of everyone's uh, tongue talking about Viagra. But now certainly it's for uh, uh, the vaccine against the coronavirus. One of the things I also found interesting about about Bushwick is that there was a big vaudeville scene there in the 19th century. People tend to think of vaudeville as being around the Bowery, but there was one in Bushwick, too. And at Bushwick has the distinction of being where the first theater in the United States that used electric lighting was located. It was called the Amphion Theater. Uh, is that still there, by the way, or the uh, the, uh, the building, or is it gone? I don't actually think that building is uh, still there. If my under my memory serves me correctly, I think it was actually torn down uh, for public housing projects at one point. Um, uh, if it's the theater I'm thinking of, yeah, I think it was it was demolished. Unfortunately, it was never landmarked, unlike a lot of those old theaters. And to our listeners who aren't familiar with it, the uh, New York City landmark law dates from the 1960s. Uh, it came about after the huge uproar uh, when Penn Station, the original Penn Station, was demolished. Um, but thanks to thanks to the landmark law, even though we lost Penn Station and have lost some other great structures, uh, we have many, many beautiful buildings that uh, are here and will be here for eternity. We're very lucky to have that law. Um, one thing that, that's interesting about Bushwick is that there's been a lot of transformation of structures, of structures that are no longer used for the purposes for which they were built and have been renovated and repurposed. Um, you know, unlike other residential areas that go through revitalization and rebirth, uh, there are a lot of old industrial buildings. What are some of the more notable of these structures that have been, you know, sort of put to other uses uh, from what they were built? Well, I would say, again, the, the Pfizer complex, uh, which is now being used, again, for food production and, and schools. My favorite one um, in terms of the architecture and the repurposing is sort of in what's now known as sort of the East Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. It was the Edward Hittleman Brewery, and it's a gorgeous building. There's actually like beer barrels that are, you know, engraved into the side of the building. And that it's brewery's been uh, shuttered for many decades, but... There are a number of things in there. There's a recording studio in there um, and closed right now for the pandemic. But there's a bar in there actually called The Well uh, in the old on the ground floor with a sort of back garden, the old uh, Hittleman Brewing building on Messerol Street that uh, has uh, claims to have over 100 beers on tap. I've been in there a few times. I haven't had 100 beers there, but I'll take their word for it. It's a humongous place uh, when bars and things of that nature reopen. Um, later this year, I'd recommend uh, checking it out. It's a really cool building. There's a number of other things uh, in there. It's a massive uh, complex, but it's a great example of sort of the industrial past of Brooklyn being preserved architecturally and then being used for sort of modern needs of the neighborhood. So there really was a place that uh, may have given birth to 99 bottles of beer on the wall. I'll have to check that out after the pandemic. I'm a big beer drinker. Yeah, it's well, called- I'm, a, I'm a big beer lover, not as big a beer drinker as I used to be. Um, how have communities evolved in Bushwick over the years? Uh, you know, there were lots of German immigrants in the 19th century. Um, who, what, what communities have have settled and thrived in Bushwick since that time? It, well, Germans really remain the predominant group uh, through the early 20th century. After World War One, um, as more and more Italians started immigrating to the United States. Um, that was the section of Brooklyn they really settled in. And so after the First World War, they really replaced the Germans as the predominant immigrant group. And they really remained that through, you know, the post-World War II era. And then starting in the 60s and 70s, you started having a much more diverse population move in. Uh, African-Americans, Puerto Ricans, there is a large Puerto Rican population there. And other sort of immigrants of uh, sort of Latino or Hispanic descent. Um, and then starting by the 70s, you know, those groups were really more predominant than uh, any of their predecessors. Well, you mentioned, you know, in the, in, into the sixties and the seventies, there's um, not a nice part of Bushwick's history going back to the seventies. Um, we had a massive blackout in New York in 1977 in the summer of 77 and Bushwick saw looting and even rioting. 
Yes. I mean, I mean, you know, most of the city, you know, I grew up in Queens and I remember being told everything when I would be told by my mother about Brooklyn, it was like, don't go there. It's, it's you know, this was her experience growing up in the 60s and 70s. And yeah, they had rioting and looting and, you know, the community really, you know, was, was, was struggling to, you know, hold itself together and, you know, rise above these, you know, bad reputation they have and show that Bushwick was still a place where, you know, families were being raised and, you know, businesses were, were, you know, growing there. Um, so, you know, just, it's a lot of work after, you know, the late seventies to kind of just rebuild their reputation as a, you know, a nice place to raise a family. Which they have, you know, like many neighborhoods in New York, Bushwick has undergone a revitalization and I would say even a metamorphosis. When did that, when did that process start? So it really started in the 1990s when, you know, a lot of the New York City's neighborhoods that had bad reputations, crime started going down. The city started focusing really more on keeping neighborhoods uh, clean, more businesses opening up. But the major change happened in the early part of this century when a lot of the younger people, young professionals, artists, musicians, as they started to get priced out of Williamsburg, they started looking a couple more stops down the L train and there was Bushwick and you had I mean, a lot of really nice apartment buildings, beautiful old brownstones and row houses, um, kind of old warehouse buildings that you can convert into artist studios. And that sort of began the uh, the revitalization. And, and with them came a lot of new businesses, coffee shops, restaurants, uh, art, you know, art supply shops, things of that nature. And there really is a, I mean, Bushwick is a pretty big neighborhood. It goes from Williamsburg all the way to the cemeteries uh, on the on the eastern end. And it's almost like there are distinct neighborhoods. There's more of an industrial part of it closer to Williamsburg in some of the buildings that we've talked about. And as you go further east, it becomes much more residential. Um, but I love the fact that a lot of these buildings in the in the western part have been, have been repurposed. Have there been some local concerns about gentrification, Jeremy? Yes, that's definitely been the hot topic, particularly sort of along the L train corridor, I would say, like around the Jefferson Street stop, then going maybe, you know, south toward the Myrtle Avenue stop on the Jay-Z line, um, as a lot of younger people, obviously, most increasingly a lot of white people moving into the neighborhood, the the prices have gone up, again, particularly along the L train corridor, a lot of uh, Families who had sort of raised multiple generations of Bushwick were finding that maybe they couldn't afford to live there. Um, They also, you know, started seeing, you know, more tourists coming in and just it was, you know, it's a big debate over what, you know, you see in so many New York City neighborhoods, what responsibility do newcomers have to the people who were there before them to sort of, you know, not completely remake the neighborhood, but also how do you, what does it mean to be a good neighbor um, in a city that is increasingly under a lot of change? You know, change is a good thing. It's just how do you manage it um, in the best way? And actually, our second guest is going to talk about uh, helping to manage the change in some of the best ways. But one of the things that I find really special about Bushwick is the art scene. Uh, There are a lot of galleries there now, um, but the art and access to it is not only focused indoors. There's a vibrant street art scene. Yeah, so that's actually the main tour that I've been leading uh, in recent years in Bushwick is my Bushwick street art tour, um, which I've been doing since uh, right the end of 2016. And that's really all due to, um, you know, I mean, there have been graffiti and street art in Bushwick dating back to the 1970s. Uh, but in 2015, a local business owner named Joseph Ficalora, uh, he'd been going through a lot of changes in his life and he really wanted to give something back to the neighborhood where he grew up and really wanted to bring a little bit of literal color to the neighborhood. So he started bringing in muralists first from the New York City area, but increasingly from around the world. He founded a not-for-profit organization called the Bushwick Collective and started doing a lot of uh, street art. And then you had other organizations, like there's a project called the JMZ Walls, which is obviously closer to those subway lines along Broadway. And just all this, I mean, beautiful, beautiful street art all over the neighborhood. And, you know, basically turn the entire neighborhood or at least certain pockets of it into like these outdoor art galleries, as I call them. And it's there for everyone to see, even during the pandemic. Yeah, open, obviously by the nature of the street, open 24-7, seven days a week. 
Well, Jeremy, thank you for being a guest on Rediscovering New York. Our first guest on the show about Bushwick has been Jeremy Wilcox. Jeremy is the founder and owner of Custom NYC Tours. You can contact him and look at his tour offerings at www.customnyctours.com. Did I get that right? That's correct. Excellent. Great. Uh, We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be speaking with our second guest about her history in Bushwick and some of the exciting projects that she has been working on. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. You know you have it the potential for a more rewarding life, a life that matters. But how do you get there? The answer is in a best-selling book by the coach of the successful and wealthy, Ken D. Foster. The Courage to Change Everything, Daily Strategies and Wisdom to Awaken Your Hidden Genius and Transform Your Life. With this powerful yet amazingly simple daily guide, your future is in your hands. You will be empowered to unlock your potential, bring out your true gifts, increase your wealth, and take your life and business to a new level. Get your life-transforming copy of Ken D. Foster's The Courage to Change Everything by going to couragetochange.us. That's couragetochange.us. Quite frankly, there's no other book like this. Imagine what your life could be like if you had at your fingertips the success principles to create the life you've always wanted. Are you ready to live your dream? Go to couragetochange.us. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, Mortgage Specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please give Chris a call at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Fiaca, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-495. 0317. You can like this show on Facebook and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions or you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I'm not on the air, I'm a real estate agent in our amazing city where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest on this program about Bushwick is Toby Moskowitz. Toby is the founder and chief executive officer of Heritage Equity Partners, a woman-owned real estate and development firm specializing in mixed-use development in New York, mostly in the outer boroughs, including Brooklyn. Heritage projects include developments in Williamsburg, Sunset Park, Prospect Heights, those are in Brooklyn, Long Island City, that's in Queens, Mott Haven in the South Bronx, and a 100,000 square foot light industrial and office project at 215 Moore Street in East Williamsburg, well, sort of Bushwick and East Williamsburg, called the Bushwick Generator. Yeah. <laughs> Other other successful projects include the conversion of the old St. Vincent de Paul Church in Manhattan into the Spire Lofts and the 150-room Williamsburg Hotel, which she developed, built, and manages. 
Toby holds an MBA from Bar Ilan University. That's outside Tel Aviv in Israel. She's an active member of Community Board One in Brooklyn since 2015, most recently chairing the Economic Development Committee. She serves on the board of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and on the National Advisory Board of Springboard Enterprises. That's a nonprofit which supports women's access to capital markets. Toby also runs a mentorship program at the Williamsburg High School for Architecture and Design, whose students learn computer-aided development, also known as CAD, and are focused on architecture and development. Toby resides in Queens with her three children. Toby Moskovitz, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you for having me. You're not only a native New Yorker, but also a native Brooklynite. That's it. But I'm going to say one thing before we start. You know, first of all, Jeremy, thank you. Uh, I learned a lot about New York um, and neighborhoods that I love, Williamsburg, Bushwick. Um, I tell anybody interested in the history of beer making, there's a phenomenal, it's not even an exhibit, but there's like a wall of all the old beer companies in Bushwick in the Brooklyn Brewery on, um, you know, in, in Williamsburg. So, you know, you touched on that a little bit. I think there's a real deep history and fascinating story around Bushwick and, um, you know, what's happened. And Rheingold Breweries there as well, the really deep roots for microbreweries in America. So, and the famous Schaefer Brewery was also in, in Bushwick. Those are two names that a lot of people will uh, recognize. I wonder if Brooklyn was even the beer capital of the United States at one point. Well, probably maybe. was. <laughs> probably was. Um, Stacy, you're Stacy. Sorry, Toby. I know Stacy Moskowitz. Toby, <laughs> your uh, uh, grandfather immigrated to the U.S. in the early 60s when your dad was was a baby. What kind of business did your grandfather open when he immigrated from Poland? So, so my, my grandfather you know, came to America actually in 1953. Uh, my dad was uh, three years old, and they had, you know, survived the war, uh, World War II in Russia, and ended up in a uh, DP camp in Germany. Um, and when he got here, he basically started buying what we called schmatas in bulk, which were essentially rags. And you know, over time, it evolved, and it turned out he had a very good nose for commerce, and he would buy army surplus. So by like the early 70s, he was renting a warehouse in Williamsburg because, you know, as a with Polish roots, that's where a lot of the Polish immigrants had settled. You know, we actually when I was a kid, North 10th and Kent, we called it Greenpoint. My dad's business was there um, and he would buy basically remnant army uniforms and repair them um, and then sell them. So that was the, the family business, which moved from originally Greenpoint, Williamsburg um, to Bay Ridge and then ultimately to Sunset Park. I know people who've gone to to Israel to study, but I don't think I've met anyone in New York who actually got their MBA from an Israeli university. What took you to Israel for for your MBA? So, you know, when I studied there in like 99, 2000, it was the, right at the beginning of the tech boom, the first tech boom in Israel. Um, and I was always interested in venture capital and, and entrepreneurship. And I, I studied there and then ended up working for a what became you know, a pretty successful venture capital fund, which taught me a lot about the mind frame that I have used even as a real estate developer, you know, conceptualizing the future and how things change very quickly and need to change. It, Toby, there's so much to talk about, about your background and your work. And I do want to get to speaking about Bushwick, um, but I do want to ask you about more things about your background and some of the work you do with organizations. Um, when did you decide to go into real estate development? So I started out uh, the first 10 years of my career, I was a venture capitalist. Um, I invested on behalf of, you know, uh, family offices and and growth companies, um, innovative companies. Um, And then when the market crashed in 2008, some of the family and private investors I knew had their money stuck in real estate deals um, where the banks all stopped funding. And I was, you know, Brooklyn girl, born and bred, um, you know, as as with Brooklyn in my blood, um, never afraid of jumping into a complicated situation and started helping people sort out um, how to find construction financing when banks were funding um, and turned out, you know, I loved it. And the first deals that I looked at were in Williamsburg. So when I, when I was a kid growing up, my grandfather, my dad had, like I mentioned, a factory that they rented on North 10th and Kent where the current soccer field is today as part of, you know, the, the aptly named uh, Bushwick Inlet Park. And um, we used to go, I mean, I, that was where I grew up, you know, sort of the most exciting thing in the world was to go to, to Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and ride the high-low and, you know, play hide-and-seek with my cousins in bales of schmatas. And then we'd go drive to South Williamsburg, which was where the Santmer Fastidum lived, 
and have lunch at Greens, which was does I think it no longer exists, but in those days it was a bakery in the lower level and a, and a, dine, a luncheonette on the upper level. So, you know, when I heard about Williamsburg, I said, wow, I know that neighborhood. Um, and I went back and discovered that there had been this huge transformation starting like in the 2001, 2002, that by 2008 had stalled out. So the first couple deals that I did were really helping investors and developers recover from situation that was outside of their control when banks simply stopped funding um, on partially completed buildings. And that, that's what brought me to real estate. Mm. Well, in real estate, Toby, the projects that you work on, you've described as, and you call them contextualized buildings. Do you want to talk about that concept? So, you know, Jeremy touched on this a lot. There's so much history in the neighborhoods um, that I've chosen to live and to bring up my family and, and ultimately to develop. And, you know, what I hate more than anything is I don't like modern architecture. You know, once in a while, you have something beautiful, like what IMP did at the Louvre, where they you know, integrated, but often it's not contextualized. So, you know, everything that I built from the conversion of the, the church, which was actually on North 6th in Williamsburg to, you know, 227 grand, you know, I try to use traditional elements of architecture, whether, you know, mostly brick um, and brownstone, and then build buildings that look timeless. So you could tell that they're built in this era, but they are respectful of the neighborhood, both with regard to the historic, you know, buildings that were built and, and where we are today. And a really great example of that is our building at 25 Kent, which I'm very proud of, um, which really has changed the Williamsburg skyline. So you see it as you drive down um, the FDR Drive. And that was a collaboration with a really brilliant architect, um, Matthias Holwich. And he's you know German by origin. He's practiced in the U.S. for many years. And I deliberately hired him because he's a modernist and I'm a traditionalist. And together we came up with a building that looks like it was built, you know, in the in 2019, 2020, but it includes all the traditional architecture of, you know, brick and, and beautiful dimensions. So we call it a deconstructed warehouse. And I actually feel that it is very contextualized. You know, as you walk down the street in Williamsburg, you know, you feel like it makes sense. The core of it's open, so that, you know, you're literally mm -hmm. able to walk into the building, but it has the depth and the texture of traditional architecture that draws you to it and, and has people want to be part of the merger between old and, and new. Well, it's one thing about your work and your background is that you're involved in a number of business organizations, which are great, like the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and also the local community board. But you also give a lot of yourself to not-for-profits. Um, how did you get involved with Springboard Enterprises? And what is Springboard Enterprises? So Springboard is a, a woman's nonprofit. It was actually started during the Clinton administration, um, and it really has helped women-owned companies raise really billions. I think at this point it's close to $8 billion in capital from a venture capital fund. So I met them when I was working in the venture capital business, and the woman who runs it, Amy Millman, literally came over to me at a conference I spoke at in Washington and said, you need to be part of this. Um, and it's really taught me a lot about mentorship, which is I think the, the recurring theme in all of my nonprofit work, um, both with the work that I've done for six years at the High School for Architecture and Design in Rolling Street, where we literally adopted the school and built a very pioneering program where the first half of the year I bring through lecturers, um, every people from the Department of City Planning, architects, engineers, to help the students who are learning CAD conceptualize career, what, what careers might look like in their industry. And the second half, we do a design competition. And then ultimately what I've you know, spoken to you about, what we built at our building in what we call East Williamsburg Bushwick, because the portion that I'm in near the Morgan Avenue stop, you know, even though it's technically, as Jeremy will tell you, East Williamsburg, uh, everybody calls it Bushwick, um, is we, you know, we built something we call the Bushwick Generator. We're right across the street from Bushwick Houses um, and in the heart of a very strong um, footprint of the tech industry. And you know, we can chat a little bit about the companies that have opened up shop whose employees live in the neighborhood and work in the neighborhood. And I've really focused my nonprofit efforts in creating a bridge and exposing young people to career opportunities in industries they might not be aware of, both at the high school and then in a permanent space that we created three years ago um, in our building in Bushwick that's essentially open to the whole neighborhood and has hosted hundreds of events over the last three years focused around mentorship and um, career development for young people in the community. And you're talking about the Bushwick Generator. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, 
I want to continue the conversation about the generator and then use that as a springboard to actually talk about the neighborhood a little bit more. Uh, our first guest, I'm uh, sorry, our second guest is Toby Moskovitz of Heritage Equity Partners. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. to Rediscovering New York on our episode about Bushwick in Brooklyn. By the way, this is our 100th episode. So happy anniversary, everybody. Uh, our second guest on this program is Toby Moskovitz. She's the CEO of Heritage Equity Partners and the founder of the Bushwick Generator. Toby, when did you first imagine the Bushwick Generator? When did the, when did it, uh, you know, when was it an idea and when did you decide I had to, I have to do this? Sure. So, you know, in early 2014, um, I had, was getting to a point where my it was clear that our 25 Kent, the project in Williamsburg was going to get approved on the rezoning. And I really was one of the first developers to think about uh, the changing landscape of how people were living and working and thinking through um, bringing more workspace into neighborhoods like Brooklyn. So I went out to find another neighborhood and, you know, as Jeremy described it, you know, rode the L train down and discovered really what was growing the whole the culture and community that had, was there current, you know, at the time um, in East Williamsburg, Bushwick, uh, the artists on Troutman Street, uh, you know, the, the stores like, you know, you have the wonton factories, um, you have, um, uh, you know, Greenfields making their custom suits. It was really, I, I felt, a, a beautiful, diverse uh, community with a lot of depth in the kinds of businesses that were there. Um, and there were companies like, for example, Madwell, uh, which was a branding company that I worked with that found themselves a warehouse and open shop. Um, Consensus, which is a uh, really an international uh, blockchain cryptocurrency company that now has a few hundred employees in the neighborhood. They were all just starting out in 2014. So I was drawn to the energy. I was drawn to the creativity and I was drawn to the diversity of people in the area and was lucky enough to find the site, which at the time was being used to make large you know, garbage containers um, the owner, uh, Adrian Cooper, Cooper Tank, she actually moved deeper into Bushwick. So she's still um, in the neighborhood and, you know, sold her real estate to me within a, a block and a half from the subway, recognizing that there was going to be development within walking distance of the Morgan Avenue stop, um, you know, more suitable to other uses. And that, you know, her business, which was a heavy industrial business, um, you know, could buy cheaper real estate and move a little deep, closer, really into Bushwick, you know, closer to Queens um, and the heavy industrial part of the neighborhood. 
Well, that brings us to Bushwick, and you've talked a little bit about about what you like about it. Describe the vibe of Bushwick to our listeners. So, you know, uh, Bushwick is really many different neighborhoods, um, many different communities. Um, you know, the area that I spend most time, most of my time in, um, is in and around the Morgan Avenue stop, and you know, in the areas near the L train. Um, I happen to, as you mentioned, I live in Queens, so I do drive um, between you know Kew Garden Hills, where I live. And, you know, through the heavy industrial part of Bushwick. But, you know, some of the things that I love and some of the, some of the sort of elements that make it really charming is um, there's still a lot of industrial, a lot of production. Um, just in and around the Morgan Avenue stop, you have literally concrete facilities. Um, you have syndicated. You know, some of these things are now on hiatus just because of COVID. But syndicated is a beautiful old conversion of a warehouse. The front of it's a bar. The back of it is a movie theater. You have what I think is the coolest grocery store um, on Morgan Avenue, like a block and a half away from the subway. Uh, again, you know, warehouse conversion. And, you know, I take people in. It's like a really nondescript door and it's a massive, um, you know, massive grocery store, um, a lot of artisanal food. And then you have the, the historic bodegas and you know, more you know, groceries that have been around for a while. Um, and a real, well, I call it, you know, there's a term in Yiddish called a chullet. Do you know what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Means sure. Soup. So, so yep. Bushwick is a good, is a good New York chullet. On Saturday nights, you, you know, pull yes. it out of the, uh, the bakery oven. and you, you, Yeah. And, and my block is, is a perfect example. You know, we, for a long time ran uh, something we called the, the, the uh, Brooklyn Bread Lab, which we relocated to the Williamsburg Hotel. Um, so it was there for about five years, you know, baking and selling bread. Um, across the street from us um, on, on Moore Street is New York Pretzel, which probably had those pretzels at City Field and at Yankee Stadium. Um, there's a very large wonton factory that's been there for a really long time. So the smells are amazing. Um, and then in my building, we have um, Paper Space, which is one of the leading um, artificial intelligence companies um, in this country. Um, they're funded by Intel Capital um, and Alexis Ohanian's fund, who's uh, you know married to Serena Williams. So then you walk a block and a half and you have, um, you know, Martin Greenfield where presidents have come to make custom suits and, you know, he's still at it and his son is there and you have, you know, artisans who've been working there for many years and then, then go in the other direction and you hit a concrete factory and right past the concrete factory, Netflix is completing on Johnson Avenue at 333 Johnson, which is, you know, deep in the heart of Bushwick. Netflix is completing their first principal lease space for TV and film production. And this is all in one neighborhood. So this is as, as authentic a cholent I've ever seen anywhere in Brooklyn. <laughs> Bushwick's changed since you opened the generator. The generator was opened in 2015. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what do you like about the evolution of Bushwick that you've seen since you opened the generator? So, you know, I, I think that, as a, as a neighborhood that is has deep roots in, in, in an industrial past, um, there's continue, there will, continues to be and there will be um, industrial tenants that maintain a presence. But in certain parts of the neighborhood, especially you know, where I'm developing, where the streets are narrower and you're within walking distance and there, there's a density of residential, you know, the Rheingold Brewery was converted to a few thousand apartments. Um, and of course, you have Bushwick houses. Um, I think it's really important to think about jobs and job creation and, and kinds of jobs that are inclusive. And what we've really done with our project is think about how to create a space that has all kinds of uses, whether it be TV and film production or traditional tech jobs, and do it in a way that is really inclusive and creates an open door to the community. Um, it's a very innovative space what we did. So alongside of the traditional tenants that we have in the building, we opened up a pop-up that we is run by a local nonprofit called Sustainable United Neighborhoods. Um, and we, we hired somebody we called an entrepreneur in residence. And over the last four years, we created a series of programs that utilize technology and conversation with everybody in the community and some of the local tech companies that are there thinking about the future of the neighborhood, educating kids and exposing kids to what is a hackathon, which is essentially if you don't know what a hackathon is, I didn't know either until I learned. It's getting smart people in a room, some of whom use technology and some of them use critical thinking skills to solve problems. And we've done programs in our building with people like Google, Microsoft, um, NASA, and 
you know, probably 20 local public schools um, in and around Brooklyn, um, really trying to create that nexus that brings together this, the local community, people who were there in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, and some of the younger residents that are living and working now um, in this amazing neighborhood. We have about a minute left, Toby. I wanted to ask you, is there anything in Bushwick that you wish were there now, but that's not? And might be a little bit of a hint to an entrepreneur to say, hey, this could be a really good idea for me to 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 start in the neighborhood. So, you know, right now, obviously, certain things are on hold, but, you know, there's so much diversity, you know, and I and I've spent so many weekends just walking around. So it really has every ingredient, you know, phenomenal businesses, phenomenal entrepreneurs. Um, you know, great spaces like the generator, a lot of amazing shared workspace companies um, and some of the best food. I mean, one of my favorite places to hit is um, Fine and Raw, which is a local chocolate factory that actually makes chocolate right in front of you. So like everything Brooklyn, Jeff, it has everything we need. We just need it all to reopen, come back and the celebration and evolution of this great neighborhood to continue. Mm. Well, Toby, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about uh, the neighborhood, one of the neighborhoods that you love and that you've set up a a great organization and and a great place for people to come together and to do more great things in Bushwick. My second guest guest has been Toby Moskowitz. Toby is the CEO and founder of, sorry, (laughs) Heritage Partners. What's the full name of it, Toby? Heritage Uh, Equity Partners. Heritage Equity Partners, and is also the founder of the Bushwick Generator, which is on Moore Street, not too far from Roberta's Pizza, Pizza, actually. Toby, thank you for being on the program. If you have comments or questions about the show or would like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook and follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is there at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, focusing on wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I am Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Brown Harris Stevens in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Sturrier. Our engineer this evening is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding, who will be a guest on next week's show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. at www.talkradio.nyc now broadcasting 24 hours a day hi i'm graham dobbin join me every thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc we speak to people from business sport military and politics all around what makes a great leader the personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So, that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time 
on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.